I'm Samantha Cole, host of the new season of Understood, The Pornhub Empire. Over the course of four episodes, I'll tell you how a horny YouTube knockoff in Canada came to dominate the porn world, only to shatter their cheeky reputation in a massive scandal. The Pornhub Empire is a new season of Understood from the CBC. Available now wherever you get your podcasts. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management. Seeking truth and justice in a battleground of deception and corruption, this is The Richard Serrett Show. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! We must not allow ourselves to be intimidated. Our task is not only to win the battle, but to win the war. Repeating, we're not in Kansas anymore. Take a look at this country through her eyes if you really want to see something. Parade of what man's carved out for himself after centuries of fighting. You're out of order. You're out of order. The whole trial is out of order. You have meddled with the primal forces of nature. And you will atone. Hey there. This is your mad prophet of the airwaves, and welcome once again to Radio Free Canada. News, notes, and opinions from the underground for Tuesday, September the 27th, in the year of our Lord, 2022. Yesterday in a question period, conservative MP David Epp asked the liberal government if they would, given the unprecedented food cost inflation, postpone the scheduled carbon tax hike. So the Minister of the Environment and Climate Change responds by implying that the carbon tax will stop hurricanes. You heard me correctly. You can't make this up. I have to remember to bring this up when I speak with Dr. Patrick Moore a little bit later in the show. Dr. Moore, the co-founder of Greenpeace, but he quit. He quit Greenpeace when he realized they had become an anti-human cult. Now he builds himself as the reasonable environmentalist. Yeah, I'm sure he'll have a a few things to say about the uh, carbon tax, stopping hurricanes. He's joining me in hour two, for those of you keeping score at home. 
The last time Dr. Moore was on the program, he had just written a, a new book, Fake Invisible Catastrophes and Threats of Doom, in which he documents all of these so-called environmental catastrophes that simply don't exist. Like this gigantic island of floating plastic, supposedly the size of Texas we keep hearing about. He says it doesn't exist. Now, I know it's not Wednesday. That's when we normally push back against the death cult of climate change with Tony Heller. But as I always say, we can't push back against the climate change hoax enough. Not nearly enough. We should talk about it every day. We should talk about it and expose it every day because the climate change cult is dangerous. And we're going to see just how dangerous it is this coming winter when people in Europe will freeze to death as a direct result of this climate change nonsense. Anyway, that's a little preview of what's coming up later in the show. So Jacob said to me last week, it was last Wednesday, off the air, he said, Richard, guess where I'm going next Wednesday, which is tomorrow. And I said, where are you going, Jacob? A baseball game? Mississauga Steelhead game? He said, no. No, I'm going to see Ringo Starr perform at Massey Hall. And I didn't know Ringo Starr was performing in Toronto. So right after the show, right after you told me that, Jacob, I went online and I purchased three tickets. And I'm taking my, my boys, who will turn 16 in a couple of weeks, to see Ringo Starr. Now, maybe I'll see you there. Where are you sitting? Front row? Probably. Tons of disposable income, these young people. <laughs> Where are you sitting? Front row? Uh, we're sitting, I'm, we're sitting in the bottom for, I'm not exactly sh- fully sure where it is. I think it's toward the, it's not, definitely not front row, but it's okay. on the, it's on the ground level, uh, on the, floor, the back. Yeah. Good. Well, you know, there aren't any bad seats in Massey Hub. Yeah, yeah exactly. There's we're no, I mean, the there's no bad seats to see Ringo Starr. That's true. We're in the cheap seats in the balcony, but you know, you're a young man. And my boys, as I say, turning 16 in two weeks, I am so thankful, so blessed that I have 15, nearly 16-year-old boys who appreciate the Beatles. Uh, And, you know, a young man as yourself, appreciating the the music of the Beatles, because it's more common for for boys who are my boys' age and and young men that are your age, Jacob, to be into some god-awful rap music or what do you call that horrible thrash? Is it called thrash metal or death metal? Death metal is a thing, yeah. But yeah. I mean, there's a lot of different like subgenres within metal. Oh, and, and the and the and the the young people who that listen to that stuff, they look like they're about to stab their own parents, and it, given half the chance, horrible. So when my boys were ten, I took them to see the Zombies at the Danforth Music Hall. They had to be the youngest people there. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> it, it was the uh, the fiftieth anniversary of the Zombies album Oracle and Odyssey. Do you know that album, Jacob? I mean, I just know, I know time of the season. I think I know yeah. a few other songs by them too. I just, well, you, yeah, you really name. need to arguably one of the top, maybe three albums of all time, Sergeant Pepper, number one, Pet Sounds, number two, and then Oracle and Odyssey. And then um, the next year I took them to see the Moody Blues perform with the Toronto Symphony. It was amazing. So uh, Ringo, 82 years old, he looks at least 25 years younger. And he just recorded a new album or an EP, I guess, and he's still touring. You know, I never imagined when I when I bought my first Beatle album way back in 1978 at Sam the Record Man 
that, what, 44 years later, I'd be taking my sons to see one of the Beatles perform. (laughs) It's remarkable. Remarkable. All right. So we'll see you there tomorrow night, hopefully. Looking forward to it. Me too. Me too. Uh, Someone on Twitter who goes by the handle Naval, not as in your belly button, but Naval as in the Navy, tweeted this out, and I think it's incredibly true. Panic led to lockdowns. Lockdowns led to fiscal stimulus. Stimulus led to inflation. Inflation led to monetary tightening. Tightening leads to recession. The panic wasn't free, and the bill is coming due. Isn't that something? That is, that's it in a nutshell. It's, it's a perfect summation of what just happened to us over the last two years. Why, it's almost like the ruling elite planned this from the beginning. You can't say that, Richard. That's too controversial. Official statistics compiled by the European Union show a massive increase in excess deaths among children since the EU approved the experimental COVID-19 vaccine for younger age groups. Let me repeat that. Official statistics compiled by the European Union show a massive increase in excess deaths among children since the EU approved the experimental COVID-19 vaccine for younger age groups. The alarming increase reported by UK-based investigative site The Exposé previously prompted an investigation by the EU agency that compiles the mortality statistics. That agency is called EuroMOMO. And then the agency subsequently altered the baseline by which excess deaths are measured. But the expose has found that even the altered data show a 755% increase in excess deaths among children aged 0 to 14 in 2022. And significantly, there's been a 630% increase overall since the European Medical Agency first approved the COVID vaccine for children 12 to 15 in May of 2021. More on this when Art Moore from WND joins me in hour two. Hundreds of thousands of people in Atlantic Canada remained without power yesterday. And officials say they found the body of a woman swept into the sea after former Hurricane Fiona washed away houses, stripped off roofs, blocked roads across Canada's Atlantic provinces. Hurricane Ian now expected to slam into Florida shortly. Floridians are rushing to evacuate ahead of the hurricane as the uh, Category 3 storm, packing maximum sustained winds of 120 miles per hour, emerged over the eastern Gulf of Mexico. Rapid intensification resumed after the storm pounded the western tip of Cuba with fierce winds and life-threatening storm surges, becoming the strongest storm to make landfall there since Category 5 Hurricane Irma back in 2017. Defense Minister Anita Anand said troops would help remove fallen trees in Atlantic Canada, restore transportation links, and do whatever else is required for as long as it takes. So thoughts and prayers to everyone in the Maritimes and everyone along the Gulf Coast in Florida as they they brace for Hurricane Ian. Speaking of Florida, where is our Mark Petrone? He's in Florida. Is he on the Gulf Coast, do we know? Anyway, I'm not sure where he is, but wherever he is, I, I hope he's safe. We should check in with him tomorrow, actually, Jacob and Declan. Why don't we do that? Make sure he's okay. So, uh, oh, someone's, oh, he's going to Tampa. He's on his way to Tampa. Okay. Um, 
Anyway, I, I told you a little bit about today's show. I, you know, I'm so disappointed with this Ontario Superior Court judge who dismissed that the suit brought by these Western Ontario, University of Western Ontario students, they were challenging the university's abhorrent vaccine mandate. Kendra Hancock is, uh, I believe, one of the five students in that suit, and she's the founder of the student movement Enough is Enough. She'll be here last order of business hour two. I mentioned Art Moore from WND to talk about the huge spike in excess deaths in kids in Europe since the rollout of the COVID vaccine. How long, I wonder, will the lamestream media ignore these stories? Dr. Patrick Moore, co-founder of Greenpeace. So much to discuss with him. Carbon taxes will prevent hurricanes. Can you believe it? Ruth Gaskowski is our homeschool advisor. Get your, get your children out of the public schools if you, if you can. If at all possible, do it. You won't regret it. Anyway, Ruth is a great resource, and uh, we talk about homeschooling every Tuesday. She's here this hour. Drew Allen, also here this hour. Among other things, we'll discuss the murder of 18-year-old Kyler Ellingson. He was uh, run down and murdered in the U.S. by a crazed left-wing lunatic because Kyler is a young Republican. They had a, a, a political argument. So his uh, funeral was yesterday. He was known as a kind-hearted and exceptional child. You know, it's funny how conservatives and Republicans, they don't riot and loot and burn cities to the ground when tragedies like this occur. But for George Floyd, a career criminal who once pointed a gun at a pregnant woman, they erect statues. Incredible. Uh, But coming up first... The conservatives are surging in the polls, pulling ahead of the liberals by seven points, according to the latest Angus poll. And uh, many People's Party supporters are now flocking to the conservative party under new leader Pierre Polyev. Is this the end of the PPC? Daniel Boardman from the National Telegraph is next. The Richard Serrett Show, off and running for Tuesday, September the 27th. The facta non verba. We're back as the Richard Serrett Show continues on News Talk Saga 960 AM. All right, this new Angus Reid poll. 35% of Canadians view Pierre Polyev favorably, 40% approve of Trudeau's performance, but uh, the Conservatives have opened up a, uh, a seven-point lead over the Liberals in this latest poll. Daniel Boardman, what do you make of this uh, latest poll? I know you're, we've talked about polls a lot and... Um, you're not, you know, a big fan of these polls. Uh, I think, but the, the interesting thing that jumps out is that they seem to be drawing a lot of their support away from the People's Party. Is this the end of Mad Max and the People's Party? I, I think this is the, I think the writing's been on the wall for the PPC for a long time now. Um, like the PPC has been able to survive uh, by saying we're a real conservative alternative. And there's a reason why the Conservative Party was polling blank. Like, usually you're better with a leader. So this is sort of the poly of jump. You have a face on it. And O'Toole brought it down because he basically marketed himself as diet Trudeau. He made sure to draw no distinction from him and Justin Trudeau, which, again, bled support. But in poly of there's a clear distinction, right? There's an option other than Trudeau. You know, Jagmeet is Justin Jr., uh, O'Toole was diet Trudeau. Now you have Polyev versus Trudeau. So that's a clear distinction. You also have a place where there's a lot of people going to the PPC like me who said, okay, I'm not going to vote for Aaron O'Toole because I think this is actually worse long-term than, than Trudeau. But now the PPC can't do what we're a real conservative alternative shtick. They actually have to have a party. And 
Over the years, Maxime Bernay has not built a political party. He's built a traveling roadshow where he goes around and does rallies. There are no form EDAs. The PPC infrastructure is literally five people. Um, there's reasons why, you know, dissident MPs won't join it because, like, there's no money in it except for the top. So the PPC needed to do their homework over the last few years and actually build a party infrastructure. Um, they're not going to be able to get by on just Justin Trudeau. i uh, sorry, Pierre Polyev is bad. They're the same. He's a globalist. We'll fight the real globalists. Um, you'll get a very, you know, small uh, contingent that go that way, but it, you can't survive on fringe issues um, by drawing, you know, maybe three clawing 3% support. The PPC, um, if they don't get their act together, will be decimated. And it looks like Polyev has not just won the prairies, but I think he's winning every province outside Quebec, according to this poll. So the 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 takeaway I have is like, it's kind of what we've been talking about is, you know, Polyev's going to do better than Trudeau. People don't hate him outside of the Globe and Mail editorial board and the Toronto Star of like, you know, readership. And part of the leader thing is like it's a popularity contest. So as the years go on towards the next election, Polyev becomes more of a name and people, when they become more familiar with someone, will like the person better. Um, The people hate him, hate him. The people don't hate him, don't hate him. So it puts Trudeau in a tough position where like maybe his best chance at beating him is now and call the snap election um, to to try and beat him when he's that, you know, still fresh and they can pull the sort of he's a fascist far right wing. He's going to. Right. I don't know. Take away your taxes or, or whatever. They, the last time Max uh, was on the program, Max Bernier, leader of the People's Party, I asked him, are you going to are you going to run in Alberta? You know, maybe a safe, a safer seat than, you know, running in uh, the heart of, uh, you know, the um, the uh, the milk marketing board country in Quebec. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, he said, yeah, he would give serious thought to it. But it doesn't look like Alberta would be safe either, because I think the PPC in Alberta are only running at about 3%. And of course, the, the uh, Conservative Party are running north of 70%. So there may be no safe place for Max to run. Yeah. And, and because they, I mean, the PPC kind of fit like they, again, they haven't built like, this isn't a, a European country or like the best example would be in Israel, he'd have a bunch of seats because proportional representation. And that's why they, they have election every 15 minutes. But in Canada, with the first past the post system, like you really need to do kind of what the Green Party did and like put all your money into a few ridings and grow it out there to gain a few seats, get into the legislature and go forward. Like the PPC, you know, run candidates everywhere. That's great. So everyone can vote for the PPC, but they really needed to focus on a few ridings and do the groundwork and be flying there, not just traveling around the countries, making speeches about freedoms. Um, And like when I had Maxine Bernie on our program a couple of years ago, before the last election, we asked him like, okay, is there going to be a constitution written? It's like, oh yes, yes, we're getting on it. And you know, it's, it's still not there. So he needs to sort of do his homework ASAP and build a political party it, it, with the infrastructure to win in Canada, not in, you know, some European, like the Netherlands or Israel, like where they have more, you know, proportional representation system. Right, right. All right. So uh, not looking good for uh, Max Bernier as we uh, gear up likely for a, a federal election, hopefully in the next couple of months. Daniel Boardman, senior contributor with the National Telegraph. Please support independent media, the nationaltelegraph.com. Daniel, thank you as always, my friend. Talk soon. My pleasure. Have a great day. All right. When we come back, Drew Allen was uh, VP of Client Development at Publius PR and the editor of the Publius National Post and host of The Drew Allen Show. He'll be here and uh, we'll talk about, among other things, this young Kaler Ellingson, uh, who was run down by a crazed left winger. He killed this 18-year-old because he's a Republican, pure and simple, political differences. 
Uh, he was buried yesterday. And uh, we'll talk about, uh, you know, where is the outrage from the media over this uh, young 18-year-old's death? That's coming up next. Don't go away. Let's get back at it on Newstalk Saga 960 AM. It's the Richard Serrett Show. Welcome back. Imagine if there were a young, clean-cut, kind, young Democrat who was murdered in the street, run down viciously by some crazed Republican wearing a MAGA hat. Imagine that. Imagine what would happen in the media. It would be nonstop. It would be outrage, and deservedly so. But here we have in North Dakota, an 18-year-old, Kaylor Ellingson. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. Oh, 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 O'Reilly! It's Superstart Battery Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Get up to a $25 gift card after rebate with the purchase of select Superstart batteries. Our professional parts people will test your old battery for free and recommend the right battery for your vehicle. For power, performance, and reliability, choose Superstart batteries only at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Died on uh, September the 18th. Police say Shannon Brandt, 41, admitted to hitting him with his SUV. There was a street dance at a local bar in McHenry, North Dakota. Brandt called 911, told the operator he hit the teenager because he was part of a, quote, Republican extremist group. There's no evidence of that. And that just doesn't square with everything that we're learning about this fine young man. They had a political argument. They had a political argument. Brandt admitted to that in an affidavit. And Kaylor Ellingson or uh, Brandt claimed that uh, that he was he was concerned because he he believed that Ellingson was on the phone calling some of his uh, extremist buddies to come and get him. The truth of the matter is, Kaylor Ellingson was afraid for his life and he called his mother to come pick him up. And for that, he paid with his life. Where's the outrage? None to be seen, none to be had. Drew Allen is the VP of Client Development at Publius PR, the editor of the Publius National Post and host of the Drew Allen Show podcast and uh, an author, columnist and political analyst. Hey, Drew, welcome back. How are you? Hey, Richard, good to be with you. I'm so happy that you're covering this story. Uh, As you mentioned, uh, the left is not, you know, I mean, they haven't touched it since five days ago when they just kind of, gave it a passing glance and said, yeah, somebody died. 
and, and, you know, you made a great point right off the bat. Um, you know, if this had been a someone wearing a MAGA hat that ran over a, a Democrat and it was politically motivated, well, well, one, that would support the argument, wouldn't it, that uh, Joe Biden, the Democrats are trying to make that, you know, we're a bunch of domestic terrorists and dangerous. But of course, that's not true. You know, this type of politically motivated violence uh, comes nearly exclusively from the left in this country. Uh, I mean, imagine imagine if, if this person had been black, uh, had been uh, Hispanic, had been any number of things, uh, there would be outrage and they'd be playing identity politics. Uh, but here you have somebody that was murdered. And where did where did this person get it in their mind uh, that because somebody uh, maybe supported Trump or may have been on the right, uh, that their life uh, was not precious, that they could just snuff it out and run them over with a car. I mean, this is the type of thing. This is coming, uh, of course, it's coinciding with the Democrats and Joe Biden himself ratcheting up this rhetoric that is basically painting anybody on the right as some kind of, uh, you know, uh, threat to democracy, threat to this country. I mean, this, this is true fascism. This is what fascists do. I mean, they're gaslighting the American people. And they should be condemning this universally, but of course they're not. Well, you know, when when uh, this crazed Bernie Sanders supporter um, showed up at that congressional baseball game a few years ago and almost killed Representative Scalise, suffered very serious injuries. Um, you know, you didn't hear a lot of people, conservatives, piling on Bernie Sanders. OK, yes, this person had, you know, wrote this this diatribe and this um uh, whatever you want to call it, this document outlining that he was a Bernie Sanders supporter. But nobody blamed Bernie Sanders for that because Bernie Sanders wasn't running around telling people, you know, get up in the face of Republicans and, and uh, you know, let's kick them out of public life and, and make them feel uncomfortable. Bernie Sanders, you know, politically, you know, he's out to lunch, but he, he doesn't do, he doesn't play that game. But you're right, Joe Biden, in his speech, in the Soul of America speech that had the... Um, looked all the world like a scene out of Triumph of the Will. Uh, he vilified and he demonized and he dehumanized Trump supporters. And then we have this incident. So this we can lay squarely at his feet. I agree. We can. And look, the environment has changed even even in just a few years since, uh, since Steve Scalise was, was shot, nearly killed on the baseball field. You know, um, the, the Democrats, uh, despite in, instances like that, uh, in which it is, it is at least their ideology that is that is you know responsible for kind of uh, upsetting these people to this point. Um, well, now they're just coming out and and, and they're doubling down on it. Uh, it's irresponsible, but it's look this this is typical. I mean, this is this is what the American people have to understand about the Democratic Party. I mean, they really have never changed uh, in their ideology since the days that that, that they were pro-slavery. Um, you know, they, they've disguised their intentions and tyranny in the robes of virtue, uh, but, but they've always played these types of games. And, and there's something else to learn from this. While, while he claims that we're such a violent threat to America, look, where is the response from the right? We're, we're not marching the streets right now. We're not burning down cities. I mean, think about Michael Brown, for example. That was hands up, don't shoot, right? That was based on an entire uh, piece of fiction from the Democrat Party, right? Michael Brown... Uh, was a criminal. Um, uh, and they claimed that this police officer, you know, just shot him in the back, you know, execution style. Uh, well, it turned out that Michael Brown, none of that happened. He reached into that cop's car, tried to grab the, the cop's gun to use it against the cop. 
And, and, and still the stories came out. Oh, Michael Brown, his whole life was ahead of him. You know, he was snuffed out because of police brutality. Um, you know, here, here we have somebody whose life was snuffed out, 18 years old, uh, doing nothing. Their, their sin was that they had a political disagreement. And, you know, this type of thing is going to continue to happen in this country. And, and, and it's, it's, it's not coming from the right. It's coming from the left. And it's, but they, you know, they're cultivating this environment. They, they actually, I, I'm very serious about this. They don't care. Drew, got to take a quick time out. We'll come back and uh, discuss further. Drew Allen, host of the Drew Allen Show podcast, drewallen.substack.com. You can read uh, his blogs and, and listen to the podcast as well. Back with more of our conversation in three minutes. You're listening to The Richard Serrett Show on Newstalk Saga, 960 AM. Drew Allen stays with us, drewallen.substack.com. You can listen to the uh, Drew Allen Show podcast there. Also is the editor of the Publius National Post. And we're talking about this uh, horrible murder of uh, Kaylor Ellingson, 18-year-old Republican, young Republican, clean-cut kid, described as kind-hearted, loved to make people smile. Well, his funeral was yesterday. Back on September the 18th, he was uh, murdered by a crazed left-winger, a 41-year-old man driving an SUV, Shannon Brandt. Now, here's the, the kicker, Drew. Um... Shannon Brandt admitted to it. He's released on $50,000 bail. Now they're finding out he wasn't, um, he was supposed to be basically, you know, on curfew. He was leaving his house. He wasn't, they weren't even checking up on him. It's just like, uh, you know, here's another example. Just one law for the left and one and one law for Republicans and conservatives. Well, that, that's exactly right. And if, if you want to put this in greater context, you know, the, the left, the Democratic Party points to January 6th, you know, is, is their, you know, smoking gun, right? Proof that the, the Republican Party and MAGA supporters are, you know, domestic terrorists that are so dangerous to this country. Well, um, uh, on January 6th, uh, zero deaths uh, were at the hands of uh, those alleged MAGA you know, protesters in the audience, you know, every single, uh, you know, Ashley Babbitt was the only person that died of unnatural causes. She was shot dead by Michael Byrd, who happened to be a African-American Capitol Police officer that day. Uh, anybody else who passed away in terms of uh, Capitol Police or anything else, it was it was natural causes, strokes, heart attacks, things of that sort. Um, and so here you have have an example in which uh, actually, you know, um, more people died at the hands of, of Democrats. Uh, on this day, uh, one person then, you know, died at the hands of Republicans on January 6th. You know, the big event is a big threat to the democracy. Right, right. Um, and as you were pointing out, the reaction, obviously, from the, um, the left-wing media is complete silence because it doesn't fit the narrative uh, and they can't be exploited for political purposes. And uh, but had this been the the, uh, the other way around, and I mentioned uh, in my opening remarks off the top of the show, you know, here we have like George Floyd. Now, he didn't deserve to die. Nobody deserves to die that way. Uh, but he was a career criminal who once shoved a gun into the belly of a pregnant woman during a uh, a, um, uh, a house robbery. And yet they erect statues to him and, you know, they burn half of Minneapolis down. And uh, rioting and looting and murder and mayhem across the city or across the country for the entire spring and summer. Uh, and yet, as you say, the conservatives and Republicans, what do they do? They get up and they go go to work the next day and uh, they, you know, they cry. 
that's that's a quite a stark difference. Um, any other any other thoughts um, on young Kaylor Ellingson, who was buried yesterday? Well, I just I really commend your your you know analysis of this yourself, Richard, because you know that that's a great point to make too about uh, George Floyd. This was guy a guy like you said he was a career criminal, and that was not a racially uh, motivated thing that happened there. I mean. Uh, there were there were other black police officers present there. Again, no one's saying uh, that we're happy about what happened to George Floyd. It was a tragedy. But, you know, he had fentanyl in his system. There were a lot of things that led into that, but it wasn't racially motivated. But they turned that into a racially motivated, uh, you know, example of police brutality. And they burned down American cities month after month after month. And here you have an indisputable example of something that was politically motivated against the right and just crickets silence this is how they try to shape it but look you know if people aren't listening to your show right now if they're reading cnn uh nbc AB, they won't know any of this because they are they're too busy focused on the hurricane right now uh that man is responsible for creating uh you know that's striking florida yeah exactly and uh on that note uh drew uh off the top of the show i was mentioning one of the conservatives MP- mps member of parliament up here asked a question in the house of commons yesterday about whether whether the federal government would be willing to to postpone the next round of carbon taxes in light of all of this food inflation that's making it very difficult for people. And the environment minister responded that the carbon taxes are helping to stop hurricanes. I kid you not. He actually said that out loud. It is to laugh, except, well, we have to laugh. Otherwise, we'd cry. Drew Allen is uh, the host of the Drew Allen Show podcast, and you can go to DrewAllen.substack.com and uh, listen there, or you can listen just about anywhere you get your podcasts. Drew, always a pleasure. Thank you, my friend. Thank you, Richard. You take care. You too. All right, when we come back, the Homeschool Advisor, Ruth Kaskowski. Stay with us. Back to the conversation on The Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. Homeschool Advisor on The Richard Serrett Show. Welcome back. Yesterday during our survivalist segment with Stefan Verstappen, um, he mentioned that on the weekend he had uh, he was conducting a sort of a St. John's ambulance course and teaching people in his community CPR. And I said, well, they should teach that in school. He said, no, they don't do that anymore. We couldn't figure out why. And uh, got Ruth Kaskowski and I thinking, you know, what else are they not teaching in the public schools that they should be teaching in the public schools? Ruth Kaskowski is our homeschool advisor and the founder of HumanitasFamily.net. HumanitasFamily.net. Ruth, welcome back. How are you? Very good, Richard. Thanks for having me. So actually, all credit goes to you because you you happen to be listening uh, on Monday and and you heard about that CPR and and then you put together kind of a list of things that are considered, what, too dangerous uh, for public schools to teach? How is teaching CPR dangerous? Yeah, good question. Well, I responded right away in my head as I heard you guys talking about this, and I thought, well, we actually did it in our homeschool program, and I spoke with a paramedic and figured out why it's not being taught in public schools. So about three years ago, our science co-op was studying anatomy, And as part of that, of our curriculum, we had a paramedic come and teach a CPR class to our students. And he thought it was a wonderful opportunity. And he lamented that it was no longer, he wasn't able to uh, offer it anymore 
in schools because of liability reasons. So uh, schools did not want to train children in case they made a mistake and the school would be held liable. So that was the reason it was no longer offered. But uh, he actually said, well, the biggest predictor of survival in a heart attack situation is how quickly someone starts working on the heart, whether that be a child or an adult. So um, he really thought that they passed up on a, on a life-saving sk- skill that every child who has uh, enough physical strength to do it can learn. So I think the American Heart Association in their research found out that children as young as nine have enough body strength to actually work on a body in CPR. So physically, there's no reason, and mentally, there's no reason why children wouldn't be able to do it. And so he taught CPR to our elementary students all the way up to high school students, and they all had dummies uh, to practice on and um, learned their CPR skills, and it was a very unique and valuable lesson. So they're not teaching it because of insurance issues, liability. That's just... That is so lame, such a lame excuse. Uh, you know, you, you could extend that, that logic and say, well, we shouldn't teach them math because they might grow up to be an accountant. And then, you know, they might someone they might get charged with uh, fraud or or I don't know, force someone into insolvency because of their bad accounting practices. It's just an absurd, an absurd line of reasoning. It really is. Uh, so I, I know this got you to thinking, you know, what other things are considered too dangerous for the public schools Uh, to teach. Uh, What else do we have? Well, fire. Uh, In North America, fire is generally seen as a threat. And uh, usually we just tell children, don't play with matches, keep away from fire. But uh, what this actually does is it it, um, doesn't offer children to the opportunity to come into contact with fire. If you come into contact with it, you actually will learn and know how to be safe. You can evaluate and identify hazards, and it teaches children to assess risk. So in our homeschool groups, we actually use matches and we make match rockets. Uh, We make hot air balloons uh, that involve fire to teach thermodynamics. And and I think teaching fires, uh, like making fires out in nature, is uh, an essential skill. So in studies, um, educators were trying to figure out why was North America so afraid compared to Europe? So in Germany and Switzerland, for example, fire is seen as a tool, not as a threat. And it's a tool that children should be taught and familiar with. And um, often uh, parents will model this for children on the weekend because we have many fireplaces, for example, in Switzerland, out in the forests where children come into direct contact with building fires and how to do it as young as four to five years old. To us in North America, this might seem irresponsible, but really what it's doing is it models uh, safe practices for them. And through engaging with fire, they can it can kind of turn from what we might see as a menace into an actual survival skill. Exactly. That That is a, a pretty basic survival skill. And, you know, a lot of us may be heating our homes with a fireplace this winter if these uh, natural gas prices keep going up, which they will. Uh, so that's so true. Like taking um, something so basic and fundamental to, to human existence and, you know, making us afraid of it. And, and well, that, that's just sort of the North American way, isn't it? We just we want to bubble wrap everything. And it's all about risk aversion and safety over common sense. Um, what else? What else are we too afraid to teach our kids in, in public schools? All right. Well, along with fires comes knives. 
And you said mm. it's kind of like, you know, fire is kind of an ancient connection. Well, so is knives and whittling. I looked it up, actually. Whittling goes back 11,500 years, just after the Ice Age is when we have the first whittling that's identified. And whittling actually means making the making of useful things. And um, knives used to be given to boys at a very young age as a rite of passage. Um, it's great for de-stressing, uh, living in the moment and actually making small, useful things and a great pastime. Um, but generally, we don't let children use knives at a very young age. Here, when I observe, uh, even when we let p- uh, young boys or girls whittle, uh, we might say, well, try a paring knife or something really safe. Um, in uh, in other countries, uh, small knives will come with just an instruction, you know, use a Band-Aid if, if you cut yourself. <laughs> That's a logical conclusion, you know. Learn through experience, you know, cut away from yourself, not towards yourself. And uh, research has shown that if you kind of allow students to, to work with sharp and what we might consider dangerous tools, allowing them to develop this responsibility, it actually has significant social and emotional implications because it gives them a sense of agency from being trusted to use dangerous tools appropriately. And it kind of leads to increased resiliency and responsibility, and it increases overall confidence, and it gives them great skills as well. And it's a lot of fun. Absolutely. Let's bring knives and fire back to public schools. I'm all for it. And CPR training, of course, in responsible ways, naturally. Ruth Gaskowski, our homeschool advisor, humanitasfamily.net. Uh, H-U-M-A-N, as in human, I-T-A-S, humanitasfamily.net. Thanks, as always, Ruth. Great work. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. All right. Talk to you next week, Richard. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. Hour two coming up. Dr. Patrick Moore uh, will be here. The Greenpeace founder, now the sensible environmentalist and director of the CO2 Coalition, uh, an author of Fake Invisible Catastrophes and Threats of Doom. Uh, He's our feature interview today. Art Moore, author of WND, will be here. We'll talk about, I mentioned this earlier off the top of the show, Europe seeing a 755% spike in excess deaths in kids since the COVID vaccine rollout. Hard to believe, but um, that's what the data shows. Kendra Hancock from the University of Western Ontario. She's a student there and founder of the Enough is Enough movement. And uh, uh, Lisa Bildy, a lawyer in London, represented a group of students trying to uh, get the courts to overturn the university's abhorrent vaccine mandate. 
and uh, unfortunately the Ontario Superior Court judge dismissed that case. We'll get a reaction from Kendra Hancock coming up. Hour two of the Richard Serrett Show. Straight ahead. Don't go away. The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management. Seeking truth and justice in a battleground of deception and corruption, this is The Richard Serrett Show. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! We must not allow ourselves to be intimidated. Our task is not only to win the battle, but to win the war. Feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. Take a look at this country through her eyes if you really want to see something. You'll see the whole parade of what man's carved out for himself after centuries of fighting. Welcome back. Hour two of The Richard Serrett Show. Please check out the website, therichardserrettshow.com. therichardserrettshow.com. You can listen to past episodes all the way back to uh, March, March 3rd of 2021, when we launched this program. And you can also contact me through the website as well, therichardserrettshow.com. Uh, in the uh, About section of the website, you can see all of the regular contributors there and a little their, their picture and a little biography for each of them. So check it out. The Richard Show.com. Coming up a little bit later this hour, Kendra Hancock, student at the University of Western Ontario. She was the founder of this Enough is Enough movement. And uh, this is in response to the University of Western Ontario's uh, booster mandate. By January of 2023, you have to have all of the boosters. You have to be up to date with your vaccines. Otherwise, um, you can't show up for class. Unless, of course... Unless, of course, you're a donor, and I don't mean an organ donor, unless you're willing to give money to the university or you're thinking about giving money to the university at a future date, then you are exempt from the vaccine. I don't know. In my textbook, that's kind of extortion. But anyway, they um, they were being represented by London, Ontario lawyer Lisa Bildy. They took it to the Ontario Superior Court to try and have this Ridiculous mandate overturned, and unfortunately, the case was dismissed. But let's hope that they, uh, I'm sure they will be appealing uh, to a higher court. But uh, Kendra Hancock from the University of Western Ontario will be here to discuss last order of business. Art Moore from WND, formerly known as WorldNet Daily, uh, he'll be here to talk about this um, data out of Europe 755% spike in excess deaths in uh, kids since the vaccine rollout. What's that all about? What's going on? All right. Dr. Patrick Moore was the co-founder of Greenpeace many years ago. Then he discovered that basically they are an anti-human cult and uh, we're not really interested in following the science. He now bills himself as a sensible environmentalist. He's also the director at uh, CO2 
the CO2coalition.org, CO2coalition.org. And the author of his, his latest is Fake Invisible Catastrophes and Threats of Doom. A great pleasure to welcome Dr. Patrick Moore back to the program. Hello. How are you, sir? I'm very well, Richard. Thanks for having me on again. My pleasure. I um, I kicked off the show today talking about um, conservative MP David Epps yesterday in the House of Commons during question period. He asked the environment minister, uh, would you please consider postponing the carbon tax because of food inflation? People are struggling and, and this is only going to exacerbate, you know, the, the, uh, what's becoming an untenable situation for many people in Canada. And the environment environment minister responded, basically implying that the carbon tax will stop hurricanes. <laughs> he actually said that out loud. And I, I had to remind myself, I got to get Dr. Patrick Moore to respond to that idiocy. Your thoughts, sir. Well, they love to use this word, the fingerprints of climate change, when speaking of hurricanes. That hurricane had the fingerprints of climate change on it. Do they have a dusting powder for hurricanes? Is that the deal? Is it really a scientific thing to say that there are fingerprints of climate change on hurricanes in the same way that it's not a scientific thing to say that someone is a climate denier when they absolutely are certain that there is a climate or a climate change denier when they are absolutely certain, as I am, that the climate changes quite regularly in, you know, not very regularly, actually. It's uh, pretty uh, sporadic. Out here on the West Coast, we're having this beautiful early fall weather. It's warm, it's calm, and the poor people on the East Coast just got hammered. But that's got nothing to do with climate change. It has to do with weather, and weather is... It can be a mean thing and it can be a wonderful thing. And that's just the planet we live on. And it's been like this forever. I was I, I'm a, a follower of yours on Twitter. And um, I don't know how long ago, a couple of weeks ago, maybe you were you were tweeting something about the climate industrial complex. And I, I love that phrase, the climate mm-hmm. industrial complex. What do you mean by that? Well, it was actually Eisenhower. President Eisenhower warned us of the military industrial complex in the 50s because he saw the revolving door between the heads of the military and the politicians in the Senate and the Congress of the United States of America, as we like to call it, the United Mistakes of America, just in a (laughs) funny way. We're not really putting them down, but they do have a few foibles these days, as we all know. And one of those is this climate industrial complex where you have wind and solar just going crazy, being built all over the place, huge subsidies, huge tax breaks, mandates requiring the utilities to buy the electricity, even if it costs twice as much as the reliable gas and coal and hydro uh, uh, nuclear energy as well. And it's just ridiculous. The, The truth is wind and solar are a parasite on the larger economy. And not only that, the CO2 that's emitted in the mining of all these materials, the amount of concrete and glass and aluminum and copper and lithium that is proposed to go into this system. Here's here's an amazing fact. Okay, you've got wind and solar providing energy when the wind and solar are working, which is about one third of the time on average. Of course, the solar is gone more than 50% of the time automatically because it doesn't work at night, which is half the time, and it doesn't work very well early in the morning or late in the afternoon when the sun is low in the sky. So right there, you've maybe got a 15 to 20% 
full-blown energy out of, the, out of solar when the sun is shining. Then there's the clouds, which happen to come now and again during the daytime. And then there's the wind. And so you put those two together and you might get a third of the energy you need when they're both working. When do you charge the batteries? You can't charge the batteries when they're not working. In other words, you have to have two thirds of the whole power to power the nation in batteries, which means while you're supplying the energy with wind and solar to the nation, if you cut out reliable backup powers such as nuclear and, and gas, you now have to have three times the capacity of energy production that you had before. And, and even at one times, it's more expensive than the alternative reliable energy sources. So it's a complete pipe dream. It is technologically and economically impossible to do. And no one has done those studies except Mark Mills of the Manhattan Institute. I'd like everybody who wants to get deeper into this to look at Mark Mills. I've been following him for 25 years. He's right on the money. He knows what he's talking about, and he is exposing the fact that there are no proper technical or economic feasibility studies to move off the reliable sources of electricity, most of which are fossil fuels. But in Ontario, you've got a big whack of, of nuclear. We've got a huge amount of hydroelectric in BC. There's some jurisdictions that are not solely dependent on fossil fuels. But where there is no hydro and where there's nobody built nuclear, most people are relying on fossil fuels, and this zero, uh, net zero thing is basically a suicide pact. Right. Yes. I, I use that expression all the time. It's a giant suicide pill for the West, particularly because, and we'll talk about this a little bit now, and then we'll um, head into a break and talk about it further. Uh, and you, you recently covered this at uh, the CO2 Coalition or CO2Coalition.org. And that is the um, the Shanghai Cooperation Summit, which is basically uh, what is about forty percent of the world's population now that is covered by. You look at China, India, uh, Turkey, um, parts of the Middle East now are moving, uh, decoupling from the West, and basically saying that you know the hell with the West. We're gonna we have all the the means and the wherewithal to go on our own. We don't need to integrate with the West, and they are doubling down on particularly India on fossil fuel production. Uh, and so that renders the entire, um, you know, green policy here in the West completely useless. Uh, if if China and, and India are going to delay, you know, moving into sustainables and double down on fossil fuels, what's the point of us chasing this, as you say, this suicide pill? Exactly. And not only that, they are not neglecting nuclear. All three, China, Russia, and India are full speed ahead on nuclear power because they know that it's the future as fossil fuels eventually are much more limited than the future for nuclear fuel. Exactly. Well, I'm, I, th I believe that the uh, premier here in Ontario is uh, perhaps rethinking mothballing the, uh, the nuclear plant uh, in, in Ajax and they're hoping that they can extend its life to, uh, to 2027 and perhaps beyond. Dr. Patrick Moore, is uh, with us, Greenpeace co-founder, now the Sensible Environmentalist Director of CO2Coalition.org and the author of Fake Invisible Catastrophes and Threats of Doom. We'll uh, take a quick time out, come back and uh, discuss some of those fake catastrophes and also more on uh, the climate change hoax right, right here on The Richard Serrett Show. Stay with us. Welcome back to The Richard Serrett Show on News Talk, Saga 960 AM. 
Dr. Patrick Moore stays with us. You can follow him on Twitter at EcoSenseNow, at EcoSenseNow, Greenpeace co-founder and author of Fake Invisible Catastrophes and Threats of Doom. Um, we've had you on before talking about the book, but I want to revisit some of the themes because that was quite a while ago. And again, you this was, you know, after 50 years as a scientist and environmental activist, you wanted to expose all of this uh, misinformation and, and what you call, you know, outright lies that are being used to scare us. And more importantly, I think to, to abuse our children in school uh, where they're now having all of these anxieties and fears and nightmares. And it's just downright ab- abuse. I think a classic example uh, is we're, we're always told. And I remember even when I was in college or university, they were talking about this giant floating plast- uh, island of plastic in the uh, in the middle of the ocean, the size mm-hmm. of Texas, we're told. And uh, twice you, the size, twice, the, twice size the size of Texas. And you yes. just you t- you totally blow that out of the water and say it's a lie. It doesn't exist. Explain. Well, it actually doesn't exist, but they insist on putting fake images painted onto the Pacific Ocean on the Internet. Go on the Internet. You'll find all kinds of images that are not real images of the ocean. They are actually pieces of art. And then you come to one which shows this giant sea of garbage on the ocean. And there's a diver in the middle coming up, showing this stuff. And it says, this is part of the Great Pacific Garbage Patch. But I looked at it closely and there's mountains in the background. Now, there are no mountains in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. (laughs) So I deduced from this by putting it in an image source thing and found out that actually this was the debris from the tsunami that killed 20,000 people in Japan. When that earthquake hit, Richter 9 points something. This is reprehensible to use an image like that, which represents the death of 20,000 people from a perfectly natural event and calling it the Great Pacific Garbage Patch. The Great Pacific Garbage Patch is invisible for some reason, because I've got the picture in my book of a German satellite composite photo showing the entire Pacific Ocean. You can see the Hawaiian Islands quite neatly, not just the big island, but the little ones trailing off. There's no way that the big island of Hawaii is twice the size of Texas. So audience, I I go to an audience and tell them about this and show them the pictures. And then people come up afterwards and say, no, 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 no. It's because it's all the clear plastic that is assembled in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. That's why you can't see it from outer space. Oh, right. Actually, clear plastic has a higher density than seawater and sinks. So they're not too good on their plastic density statistics here. Then they say it's just below the surface, as if every piece of plastic has its own buoyancy compensation device. (laughs) Like things don't work that way. Most things either float or sink. And plastic is the same as most things. But then the final solution, it's microplastic. Oh, in other words, it's invisible, right? And so I can't see it and neither can you and nobody can. And let's see some of it, okay? And then they say it's in our blood and they say it's, you know, they say it's everywhere, the microplastic. There's no evidence of that. Our body isn't stupid enough to ingest plastic in through its intestine in the same way that all the other waste comes out. If you eat very fine granulated sand, do you think your body takes it and puts it in your blood? No, it knows how to sort that sort of thing out. So it's all BS. There is no Pacific garbage patch. The one thing I do agree with is that it's a shame that fishermen throw their damaged nets overboard because there's not as much room on the boat as they want for fish and ice and stuff. Boats are small. 
And so they, they don't want to have garbage on their boat, so they throw it in the ocean. And most of it's fine. It floats around and stuff grows on it and things lay their eggs on it. And other species come and eat the eggs that are being laid on the plastic or driftwood. See, there's a great essay that shows that driftwood and plastic floating in the ocean are basically identical, except plastic can come in forms of cups and bottles where they can make a habitat for something to go in through the neck of the bottle on the bottom of the ocean and be protected. So there's, there's nothing wrong with that. But it's as if plastic becomes poisonous the second it goes in the sea. No, it does not. That's why we wrap all our food in plastic, to keep it from being contaminated. That's where most of the plastic comes from in, the, in our waste, is from food protection. And so, it's inert. It's inert. It's not absolutely. Absolutely. It might be unsightly. It might be unsightly. Yes, that's um, litter. That's yeah, called litter. litter. And some people don't like the looks of litter, even though it's not harming anything. It's not pollution. It's not poison. And so to to but to insinuate, they do insinuate just like with CO2, they insinuate that it's a pollutant, which means it's negative from a chemical point of view. In other words, toxic. And that's also a lie. Carbon dioxide is the basis of all life on Earth, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, it, it just goes on. You know, one of the facts that people don't understand, and of course, plastic is almost all made from fossil fuels. The war on plastic is a proxy for the war on fossil fuels. People mm-hmm. should understand that. But when you see all these hipsters recreating in their kayaks with their plastic paddles and their <laughs> plastic clothes and their plastic everything, right, their plastic shoes, and that's okay, apparently. So it's a total double standard here that only the, the only bad plastic is the plastic in the ocean when in fact seabirds albatross and gulls and many other seabirds all birds in fact ingest hard bits of solid things into their gizzard to digest their food they have two stomachs one like ours and one that's sort of a muscle that goes like this and grinds the food all land birds use pebbles for this purpose because there are plenty of pebbles on the land but there's no pebbles in the ocean. So ocean birds have a harder time, especially when their chicks are, are in the nest. They have to bring objects from the sea. And they bring hard bits of wood, hard nuts, like an acorn-sized piece of nut. When they feed squids to their chicks, you know, little six-inch squids, the beak of the squid is retained in the gizzard to act as a digestive aid in grinding the food. Now, for the past 50, 60 years, they've been able to find hard bits of solid plastic, just the right size, to give to their chicks, not feed to their chicks. David Attenborough says that the albatross adults are feeding plastic bags to their chicks, mistaking it for plastic. First, they're not feeding plastic bags to their chick. There's no evidence of that anywhere in any literature whatsoever. They feed them hard bits of plastic or give them hard bits of plastic because it's not for food. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. 
Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. It's for digestive aid. This is a benefit of plastic in the sea. And all kinds of studies for 50 years have been done on the possible negative effects of plastic in the gizzard of birds, and there is no negative effect. It's a positive thing. Dr. Patrick Moore, uh, EchoSense Now, at EchoSense Now on Twitter, back with uh, more of our conversation. A few minutes remain with uh, the co-founder of Greenpeace Now, the sensible environmentalist, and then the, uh, the relatively new book, Fake Invisible Catastrophes and Threats of Doom. Insist they put it in your library. Back with more in a moment. Stay with us. The Bull Session continues on The Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. And a few minutes remain with Dr. Patrick Moore. He has a PhD in ecology and a co-founder of Greenpeace. But he left in the uh, the mid-80s, I guess, after about 15 years with Greenpeace, after he saw it basically turn into, I believe he called it a, uh, a racket peddling junk science. Um Dr. Moore, when when Greenpeace began, I think it was sort of in opposition to H-bomb tests in Alaska when you were were with them. I think that was your first campaign. Yes. When when did it really, uh, I mean, I know it went off the rails uh, for you, but what what was it that led to Greenpeace going off the rails? Well, first dropping the peace part, which was because we cared about humanity. That's why we tried to stop nuclear war. And it just ended up being nothing but the green and the human beings were now being called the enemies of nature and the enemies of the earth. So that was a big philosophical shift as time went on. Secondly, and the sharp end of the stick was my fellow directors, none of whom had any formal science education, decided we should ban chlorine worldwide. And that would be a good fundraising campaign because chlorine can be toxic, as are all the halogens, fluorine, bromine, chlorine, iodine, etc. But they're also very powerful antibacterial um, you know, when I was a kid, iodine was the most important thing in the medicine chest if you got a cut because it stopped infection. And adding drinking, adding chlorine to drinking water and swimming pools and spas is the biggest advance in the history of public health. And 80% of our medicines are made with chlorine chemistry and 25 of them have chlorine in them. And sodium chloride is an essential nutrient called table salt and, it, and, and on and on and on. So banning chlorine worldwide, I said, you guys got to be a bit more nuanced about this. Name the chlorine chemicals that you think should be banned for certain purposes, because even DDT, which is a chlorinated hydrocarbon, should not have been sprayed forever on farm fields broad, broadcast all over, but it was very important and still is for malaria. So there's a health application for DDT and there's an agricultural application for DDT. We have better chemicals for for spraying on crops now that aren't so so specific, that are less specific, you know, sorry, are more specific, that don't just kill everything. And But when it comes to uh, malaria, DDT is still the most effective weapon we have, used, used indoors mostly to prevent mosquitoes from being in there while you're having dinner, which is when they come around. So I want to just mention the polar bear for just a sec, because yes. the great irony of the polar bear is that it would not exist if it weren't for climate change. 
Prior to the onset of this Pleistocene Ice Age, there was no ice on the North Pole for 250 million years before mammals even evolved. So there couldn't have been a bear, never mind a polar bear, before that. But the Eurasian brown bear, which is the same as our grizzly bear, which came here from the old world over the land bridge, but during that period of time, during the Pleistocene, which is 2.5 million years on, the brown bear started walking out on the ice that began to form on the Arctic Ocean in the winter. There it could hunt seals. Divergent evolution caused the polar bear to become the polar bear and the Eurasian brown bear to stay the Eurasian brown bear. And today they are they're actually subspecies technically because they can still breed with each other, but they are very, very different from each other, have different habitats, etc. There'd be no polar bears if it wasn't for the radical climate change that brought us into this, you know, Pleistocene Ice Age originally 2.5 million years ago, which we are still in, albeit an interglacial period. So to say that climate change is going to destroy the polar bear, this may be true someday, in the same way that it created the polar bear. All of the species have been created and extincted by various means, and thousands times more species have become extinct during the history of life than still exist today. As a matter of fact, it's thought that all species eventually go extinct, maybe including us, because this could be 2 million years from now, 5 million years from now. We don't know. Right. And... Contrary to popular belief, the po- the polar bear is thriving. The polar yes, there there are between four and five times as many of them now as there were in 1973. When I don't know why Coca Cola didn't tell us this, all the polar nations signed an international treaty ending the unrestricted hunting of polar bears in 1973 because they were being overhunted. It had nothing to do with climate change, and since that time, those nations have enforced those rules, and the bears have grown between six and eight thousand to 30 and 50,000 in population. And the Inuit people have in, in, in Nunavut and the government up there have had to pass a polar bear management plan so that they are at least allowed to stop the polar bears from killing them and ravaging their homes because they, they, they are quite highly populated on the Canadian side in particular. Dr. Patrick Moore, author of Fake Invisible Catastrophes and Threats of Doom, available at Amazon and uh, hopefully wherever good books are sold. And uh, if it's not in your public library, uh, ask for it to be placed there and in your uh, in your school library as well, for that matter. You can follow him on Twitter at EcosenseNow and, uh, again, director of CO2Coalition.org. Dr. Moore, always a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you, Richard. All right. When we come back. We'll speak with Art Moore from WND about this incredible spike, 755% excess deaths in kids in Europe since the Vax rollout. He's next. Stay with us. Just having a little chin wag on The Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. Welcome back. I don't know how much longer the lamestream media can keep a lid on all of this damning data that's coming out with regards to the COVID vaccine. In Europe, alarming, absolutely alarming official data has uh, prompted an investigation. A 755% spike in excess deaths in uh, kids since the uh, COVID vaccine rollout. Let me repeat that a 755% spike in excess deaths 
since the vaccine rollout. Official stats compiled by the European Union show a massive increase, again, in excess deaths. These are among children, I believe, 0 to 14 years of age since the um, European Union approved the COVID-19 vaccine for younger age groups. Art Moore is an author at WND and also the co-author of the bestseller See Something, Say Nothing, a Homeland Security Officer Exposes the Government's Submission to Jihad. Um, The other co-author, the late Philip Haney. Art Moore, welcome back. How are you? Hey, thank you, Richard. Doing well. Fine, thanks. Yeah. A 755% increase in excess deaths. So this was uh, reported by the UK-based investigative site Exposé, uh, that investigate or that report launched uh, an investigate or prompted, I should say, an investigation by some European Union agency. But then they tried to fiddle around with the um, with the baseline. Uh, what did they try to? Were they trying to down deliberately fiddle with the baseline in order to downplay the number of excess deaths? Yeah, that appears to be the case. And to be clear, when we're talking about excess deaths, we're saying in any one year. How many people would we expect to die? And if there are excess deaths, so we want to know what's the cause of that. And we've seen this over and over again with uh, different government entities that are compiling this data and and finding that when there are people that that draw attention to some alarms, I mean, that's the whole point of it, right? I mean, that's why we compile this data is that we want to keep people safe. But when people actually use it for what it's meant for, then there is this cover up often where they just uh, stop publishing it or they fiddle with the facts. I mean, we saw that actually here in the U.S. with Department of Defense uh, data that was showing this alarming spike uh, compared to the previous uh, four years in uh, people uh, who are in the military, who go to these veterans facilities for health care and you know reporting these really serious illnesses. So this is not something new, but yeah, in this case, it appears that in the UK, they were trying to fiddle with the data again. Right. So, and again, there's, this is not necessarily causation, but when you have a 755% spike in excess deaths among children aged 0 to 14, since the rollout of the vaccine, uh, you would think that would warrant further investigation. And there has been some. Now, Denmark recently um, stopped recommending the COVID vaccine for anyone age, under the age of 50, with some exceptions. Do we know whether that was in response to this data showing these excess deaths? I, I think so. I mean, I, I can't say specifically uh, what the reasoning was, but it seems pretty clear. I mean, uh, some time ago, these Scandinavian countries were already uh, curbing their recommendations. Uh, they, they started with saying, hey, young people have very, very little risk, if any, statistically, of harm from COVID-19. And so why are we taking a risk with these vaccines that that we rolled out, you know, in, in less than a year compared to the minimum five years it usually takes? Are they covering this this story in Europe? Is this widespread news? It, it doesn't seem to be. Uh, something really interesting I came across today, there was a news conference in London and it was uh, featuring uh, one of the top cardiologists in the UK there. His name is Dr. Asim Mahatra. And back in February 2021, 
He goes on this uh, very popular uh, morning show, news show, Good Morning Britain. And he says uh, he's talking about vaccine hesitancy. And he says, you know, there's a lot of irrational reasoning behind why people uh, do this. You know, it's based on this blatant false information that's going around social media. So th- this guy, obviously very much, you know, uh, a pro vaccine person who was one of the first to take two doses himself. And now today in London, he's saying stop the vaccines. And the reason for that is in his uh, scientific paper that he was talking about. And he's basically saying, look, there's um, real world safety data that indicates a rise in cardiac arrests, heart attacks. Now, that that's his area. He's a cardiologist, but obviously it's going beyond that. But he's talking about his expertise and where, what he's seen. And, and he's he's one of the honest ones saying, look, I was willfully blind uh, in relationship to the harm caused by this vaccine. And uh, now I'm not I'm not blind anymore. Uh, I did see that, and we are actually trying to chase Dr. Malhorter to get him on the program. Um, this is a peer-reviewed study as well. Uh, the, Art Moore, co-author of See Something, Say Nothing, a Homeland Security Officer Exposes the Government's Submission to Jihad, uh, co-authored by uh, the late Philip Haney. How do we get a copy, Art? Yeah, I think the best place is just to go to Amazon.com and type in See Something, Say Nothing. Art, always a pleasure. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. We'll talk again soon. My pleasure. Bye. Bye-bye. An Ontario Superior Court judge has rejected an attempt by five Western University students to block that university's COVID booster mandate. Kendra Hancock from the University of Western Ontario and founder of the Enough is Enough campaign joins me next. Stay with us. Let's rejoin the conversation on The Richard Serrett Show on News Talk Saga 960 AM. This is uh, so, so disappointing. Maddening, uh, in fact. So there were five Western University students attempting to block that school's COVID-19 booster shot mandate. In other words, if you're not fully or up to date, I guess now that's the new mantra, right? You must be up to date with your vaccines. If you're not fully up to date, including the boosters, uh, by January 2023, you won't be able to attend class at the University of Western Ontario. Five students represented by London, Ontario lawyer Lisa Bildy, who's been on the program, uh, took the case before an Ontario Superior Court. And in the written decision, Justice Kelly Tranquilly uh, stated, as an independent, autonomous and self-governing institution, Western University can govern its affairs separately from the province and collecting personal health data from staff and students is its way of implementing the vaccination policy. Uh, not one of the uh, the five involved in the uh, the suit, but um, the founder of a campaign called Enough is Enough in opposition to this mandate is uh, Kendra Hancock. She's a University of Western Ontario student, and uh, she joins me now. Hey, Kendra, how are you? Good, thank you. Thanks for having me back. Must, must have been very disappointing when this decision came down for you. Yes, absolutely. I think we were all looking out for it, and it's it's very disheartening. Um, I know it's early in the game, but um, uh, have you heard whether there will be an appeal? Um, They have not come out with anything definite yet. I think um, they're looking to see if it's warranted for sure. And I could definitely see where there are, you know, some questions as to um, if they can do that moving forward. Right. Uh, And the students involved, uh, Simon Hawk, Tiana Gleason, Michael Puzo, James Donalds and Ashante Kamara, 
uh, again, alleged that by collecting personal medical information of students, Western is violating the Freedom of Information and Protection of the Privacy Act, arguing it was not categorized as lawfully authorized activity. Uh, of course, the, uh, the Superior Court judge, Justice Kelly Tranquilly, did not see it that way. Um, I'm not sure. I mean, I, I, I didn't follow the uh, the uh, I didn't read the transcripts, but did the um, did the issue of the seemingly arbitrary nature of this mandate come up in, in so far as they they were offering an exemption to anyone willing to make a donation to the university? Did the justice uh, have anything to say about that? I don't believe that came up. Um, I did watch the hearing. Um, the scope of it was pretty narrow, and um, Lisa Bildy made did an incredible job um, making the case for that. She anticipated Western's arguments very thoroughly, um, and the narrow scope was about the collection of the medical data. Um, the visitor policy did come up in conversation that was used, I believe, by Lisa Bildy and Western, um, I'd say reasoned it off as it was a more so visitor policy and that these people wouldn't be on campus day to day. Um, it does still, of course, <laughs> see, ring as an ironic and uh, and sad, sad um, misjustice. Right. Uh, and the students were also arguing, and by extension, uh, the lawyer, Lisa Bildy, arguing that the policy is coercive, which I certainly, <laughs> I don't see any way around it, it but but describing it as, as thus coercive. Uh, but the justice disagreed. Why, why would she not see this policy as dis, uh, what was her argument or, or in her decision that this was not a course of policy? You know, I don't know if she addressed that. And I, I can't say I remember her addressing that. But that that has to be, of course, at the core of the issue. I know this was a narrow scope um, challenge. And it makes sense legally, of course, and for the proceedings for that to be the case. But that really is, of course, the fundamental issue here. It's the coercion. It is the issue of consent. It is the absolute removal of choice for grown adults. Yes. I mean, I, su- I suppose you could argue, well, if you don't want to go to that university, you could go somewhere else. And that's your choice. And so you do have a choice, except and, and maybe you can speak to this, uh, Kendra, because, you know, maybe you or fellow students, if you are enrolled in that program and let's say before this mandate came down, you had rented an apartment, you had uh, a, a, you know, a, a, a part-time job lined up, um, and now you're going to lose maybe the deposit on your apartment, uh, you no longer have that job, you've got to switch schools. Uh, that's not much of a choice. No, being put in a corner and being told you have a choice <laughs> really doesn't, um, it doesn't work out that way. And I know that's how they'd like to present it. But it's it's not about choice at this point. It's about control. The fact that unvaccinated students cannot study in most online settings. I mean, that shows you well enough that this is not about safety and it's not about consent at all. What's next for you? Uh, because I believe you're are you going into your fourth year? Um, I was meant to be going into a, a grad program. OK. And so what's next? Are you going to be going into the grad program or are you? I have since taken my money elsewhere. Um, I am currently enrolled at McMaster online and they can gladly have my money. I have refused to be a part of a institution, an academic community that will exclude people unnecessarily. Do you have any, I think the last time we we spoke, we talked about this and how many students of your fellow students are voting with their feet, so to speak, or with their wallets rather, and are, are, are not going to, uh, uh, to attend. Um, Do you have a number in 
a rough number of how many students have decided to leave the university because of this mandate? I don't have a number for you, but we've had, I'd say, probably around 300 messages of students saying that they had already withdrawn that they or that they were going to be pursuing that path and that they were looking into their options that way. Um, because this year, Western um, doesn't really have the same monopoly that they did last year because students can go to other universities that do not have this requirement. So Western is, is kind of out on the lurch here. Oh, well, I hope so, and deservedly so. And I hope uh, more and more students uh, vote with their wallets and their feet and move elsewhere. And uh, as far as I'm concerned, uh, at least as long as this current regime resides at the university, they, they have a, a huge stain on their, uh, their legacy. Uh, Kendra, um, the best of luck with your, um, your schooling going forward, and uh, thank you for spending some time with us. Thank you so much. Kendra Hancock, former University of Western Ontario student and uh, was the founder of the Enough is Enough movement. Let's hope that that is successfully appealed. All right, uh, that's it for me. My thanks to Jody, Declan, and Jacob. I'll be back tomorrow at 4 to do it all over again, God willing. Don't be late. Until then, I remain unbowed, unbent, unbroken. That's it. That's all. For more Richard Serrett Show, podcasts, blogs, and other stuff, go to saga960am.ca. Stop talking past each other and start talking with each other. We'll see you tomorrow afternoon at 4 on The Richard Serrett Show on News Talk, Saga 960am. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy.